Being an expert sucks. As a teacher of spiritual intelligence and emotional health, I get cornered into being the guy who has all the answers. I'd like to take this opportunity to make a confession. I don't. What I do have are convictions. I have theories. I have questions. I find myself looking around and I'm like, we can't stay here. Stop setting up your tent. We can't stay here. Through my journey, it's become evident that being a participant is no longer enough. It's time to become reformers. These are my confessions. To get deeper in this conversation, visit MikeMayashiro.com. Hey, you guys. Welcome to today's episode. Uh, This is not a normal opening because... Um, from today's episode, we had some trouble with the in first like four-ish minutes of the recording, so those have been removed. Um, so we're going to jump right into where we can. Sorry about that, um, but this episode today is an emotional one. Um, this is a sensitive subject. I think I kind of talked about that in the other intro, so just wanted to throw that in here. Um, this is not necessarily um, the same kind of podcast episode. This one feels more of like a an attempt at trying to convey and express strong feelings I have about something I feel pretty convicted about. Um, but it's definitely in the theme of confession. Uh, I more just want to open up about something I feel very strongly about, um, in an ob- a subject that's, you know, pretty important to me. Today's episode is entitled abusing God. And, um, yeah, this is a very, uh, important thing to my heart. So I hope that, um, you can find value and appreciation in what I'm sharing here today. Um, But thanks for being with me. I'm excited to jump into this and hope you guys are staying safe out there during this pandemic. Oh, is he going to be okay? I don't know. So I just kind of climb a little more. And you guys, anyway, long story short, to just sidestep all the drama, I got to the top of this thing and just kind of like clung to the structure. And I'm like, I'm up here by myself. And if I turn sideways, I could just fall right off. And they're all little behind me. Um, Anyway, did it. Came back down. And then they all cheered and we just ended up in this organic group hug, just celebrating the fact that I did it, which was awesome. And Stacy had this giant staff that she was walking around with because we were hiking on rocks and rivers and stuff all day. Um, And she gave it to me as an award for being brave and courageous. And I accepted it and brought it home and gave it to my brother-in-law as a sign of respect. (laughs) I kind of regret that last bit, but anyway, that happened, which was a win. I, you know, you don't have to do this, and I think most of us choose not to, but I've, growing up, I've had moments where I'm like, you know what, I can do this, and the only reason I wouldn't is because of fear, and I don't know that I want that fear thing to be a, something I respect, so I've chosen at times, I don't do it all the time, but I have chosen to push past that fear chicken line to do something that I was afraid of and experience the other side, right? I was like on a high after that thing. Like Ruby and I both were just like euphoric on some level, and like, and it, it like did something to you, you're like, I did that, like... And not out of an arrogance or a prideful thing. You don't really care if other people knew or not. It was more just for yourself. Like, I chose to get past something I was afraid of. And I I have power over myself. I'm not subject to my instincts or my impulses or my, you know, like an animal. Like, I I can choose past that, which feels really good. It was awesome. I remember, I mean, this is my other story I want to throw in here real quick. And then we're going to jump into today. Um, I was visiting my best friend in, um, in high school, right after high school, into college. I was visiting him at his university in Seattle and we were in the mess hall, like where everyone's eating lunch or breakfast, where they have meals. And we're eating and he looks at one of the pillars in this place and it's populated. There are like 50 to 100 people around us, right? And he's like, dude, I bet you could do a backflip off that pillar. 
because I learned how to run up a tree and do a basketball off of it. So I started doing it off stuff sometimes. And he's like, I bet you could do that. And I was like, no. He's like, no, for sure you could. And I was like, stop. And don't talk to me about that. And he, he wouldn't leave me alone. He, every once in a while, he'd just keep bringing it up. And he's like, dude, you totally could do it. I was like, oh. And I don't know how, you guys. I don't know how this happened, but he convinced me that I needed to do it. So I was like, all right, here we go. And he pulled out my camera and he's filming the whole thing. And here's a little trick you need to know about um, this situation. The pillar had, it was like a certain kind of design. So the base of the pillar was cement um, and it gets, becomes wood, but there are two pillars of the of this pillar and then it indents in the middle. So it's like about four inches depressed into it. So I ran up oh God, to do this thing. First foot on the ledge of the uh, concrete base. Second foot went to push off the wooden part, but my foot went where the depressed part was and I didn't make contact. So I went vertical upside down and came straight down on my head. <laughs> And I still have a video of this. A bunch of people in the cafeteria went, oh, and everyone turned and looked at the mess of the person at the base of the pillar, which was me, this guy. And, you know, I had some level of dignity at that point in my life, so I'm pretty humiliated. And I heard and I could feel all the eyes on me. And it's like one of those moments in a movie where, like, it's silent and you just see this is happening. Like your reputation is melting as you're looking at everyone. And I see my best friend walking away. His name's John. He goes, he walks away with my camera, like hiding. He's embarrassed for me. So he's trying to, and I think he's trying to abandon the moment and not be associated with me. I think that's what he was doing. And I stood up because I don't know how to explain this. I don't, this was not premeditated. I didn't mean for this to happen. I stood up, pointed at him. He's like 20 feet away from me, right? In the midst of people. And I was like, John, stop. We're doing it again. I yelled that to him. I didn't mean to. This was not something I thought through. It just came out. And he was like, and he forced himself to like film. And so I turned back to this thing. I was like, okay, I need to push my foot three inches to the left. I'm catching the left of this pillar. I'm doing this. I couldn't just walk away having crumpled in front of all these people. I couldn't leave it like that for myself, right? So not, I didn't care what they thought. At this point, you think, at this point, you guys, when you're embarrassed, when the worst thing happens already and you've already lost respect, <laughs> you're free. Like all of a sudden I didn't give a crap what any of these people thought anymore because I already hit the bottom. I already landed on my head in front of all of them. Like how much worse could it get, right? I mean, it could get worse because I could do it again. I was like, I'm fixing this for myself. Like, it was the same thing with the bridge. It was a, I needed to fix this for myself. I couldn't leave this as this memory in my life. So I turned, set my intention, mentally calculated. I'm turning my foot a little, like three inches to the left, booked it toward the thing. One, two, made a contact, stuck the landing, and the whole room erupted in applause. It was awesome. It was so cool. I remember just being flooded with, satisfaction and like accomplishment and like self-respect and, and it wasn't necessarily just because people thought it was awesome like that was fun it was definitely like icing on the cake but i was like i'm powerful like i can do stuff i'm in control of me and i can change what happens in my life like that felt so significant to me so i didn't mean for this to turn into some kind of like touched by an angel moment but um at the end of the day these chicken lines actually matter to me because their opportunity for us to make a choice about who we are and what we're capable of in our own life, regardless of anyone else's opinion, right? Because no one could have convinced me to climb that bridge. I had to choose that, you know? And so anyway, in those moments, like that stuff just feels really significant. And I don't know if everyone feels this way, but I definitely did. And I know Ruby identifies with that as well and a bunch of other people too. Anyway, that, that happened. Kind of fun side story. You guys, today's episode, a little different. Um, also, while I'm on this, when it comes to like living your best life and going after like the fullness of who you are and what you're capable of, 
man, I have such a value for that. I think that scripture has such a value for that. Um, like the Lord is interested in you fulfilling what you're capable of and bringing faithfulness to the table. And so that's such a passion of mine and something that my team and I go after so much so that we created a coaching subscription for people outside of our world to subscribe to and go after their ability to fulfill their potential in their own life. It's called living your legend. So if that's something that you'd be interested in, it goes something like this. You get access to a private Facebook group that's only for the people in this subscription. There are two different packages, a two, two session or four session package for the month. You meet with one of our living your legend coaches and they specifically go after with you. Who are you? What does it look like for you to step into the fullness in your life now? What are the things coming against you? What are the things that are for you? What are the strengths, the talents, the gifts, whatever? And then how do you practically walk this out in all of the areas of your life? And the goal is to take you from wherever you are to fulfillment, to faithfulness, to accomplishment in those ways, right? So if that's something you care about and are interested in, you can definitely apply for that. MikeMyShow.com, subscriptions, living your legend. Yay. All right. Today's episode, not normal. Um, apparently, my podcast is categorized under the genre uh, personal journal or something, which that happened without my consent for the record. I did not know that was the category of my podcast. Not what I was going for. That's fine. Anyway, but... Today's episode is probably the most apropos for that genre. Today, um, I wanna talk about something that I feel vulnerable in, and I don't know how successful I'm gonna be at conveying what I wanna say here, but I think I wanna say, I wanna try at least. So I guess for today's episode, I want you guys to listen to this with some different ears. I don't know that I'm interested in teaching today, or like, I'm not saying that I won't. I, don't, I think I'm addicted, I don't know if I can stop. But my goal today is more to confess um, some like significant things I experienced with the Lord that are important to me that I, and I also, I think I observe in my environment. Um, I just want to make some statements here and maybe draw some circles around things that I'm like, this matters and this is important or this isn't or whatever. Um, today I want to entitle this episode, which I don't want it to be super intense, but I think it feels appropriate. I want to entitle today's episode, abusing God. Um, so, you know, just let's jump into it. Um, I personally don't think people actually start living their life. Like, I don't think they've actually come alive until they become conscious of their deep longing for Jesus. I don't think you're actually living life. I don't think you're um, bringing who you are to the table until you become aware that the deepest ache in your soul is to be connected to Jesus, is to know him, is to be known by him. And there's a lot of words we could put on that. And it's hard to explain because it's not intellectual. It's heart, you know, it's deep. It's it, there's longing and affection in that space. Um, I don't think any of us are actually living our lives until we become aware of that appetite. And appetite almost doesn't even feel appropriate. It's because it's so much more intense uh, and tack and like consequential than just eating, you know, like, but you, we have this really in like deep, heavy pull inside of us to need to know God. This place does not have enough for us. Like deep cries unto deep, right? And the rivers of a, of a man's heart run deep. We are, eternity is in our heart. Like we are an expansive being and only God has the capacity to satisfy us. Just, and I don't want to sound like a cliche Christian, but it's true. There is this very intense gravitational pull at the core of our being that only God can satisfy. And until we, and I don't, I'm not talking about some force or purpose or a definition, like that stuff is secondary. I'm talking about intimate, 
personal, vulnerable, scary knowing this person. Um, I, and I think I feel this strongly about this because it happened to me. And I thought that I understood this until it happened. And then before then, I don't know what I was thinking. Uh, so I got saved when I was four, did the Christian thing up until I was 18. I didn't meet Jesus until I was 18. Sorry, let me rephrase that. I didn't become aware of that gravitational pull in my being. I didn't know what it was until I was 18. I was aware of it. And I did lots of things in my life to satiate or scratch the itch or whatever. And I just kept living in this ravenous state of having to try and shove things in there that, you know, so it doesn't consume me. And it wasn't until I was 18 and I met Jesus for the first time that I became aware that that longing that I've been feeding my whole life was actually my longing for him. I, cause I didn't believe I could know Jesus. I thought he died 2000 years ago and he left the planet, right? I read in the book, like he, he ascended into the clouds. Like Jesus isn't here. I didn't realize that we could actually know him beyond, you know, what we read in scripture. There's something more going on there that we actually can experience. I didn't know that until it was revealed to me by faith. All of a sudden one day it was just, boom, you want this. And he wants it too. And it's available. And I was like, what? And it obviously, I mean, it wrecked me. I bawled my eyes out for a long time. Like couldn't handle it. It was just, it rewrote everything I thought was possible and everything I thought I knew about me. So anyway, uh, and I don't know how to like get people there. I don't know that how I got me there. I don't know that it was up to me to make that happen, which is awkward when we talk about evangelism and preaching the gospel. And I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. We for sure sh we should. And I think the gospel got preached to me a bunch before that finally took place in my life. Um, but anyway, that's a thing. And I don't think we actually start doing the real deal until that happens and we become aware of it and we accept it and we embrace like this is true and this has to happen and there is no alternative and that kind of thing. Um, and one of the things I'm aware of when it comes to legitimately submitting to that knowledge and that awareness is it affects how you relate to human beings. When you know God there, it affects how you experience other people, how you see them, how you treat them, what they mean to you, what, what's allowed to happen in your relationships. It changes those things because without that anchoring in the Lord, you're a pretty vulnerable person just floating around, you know, and you're kind of subject to other people's opinions, their decisions, what they want from you, their expectations, the demands, culture, circumstance, economy. Those things are all elements in your life that can move you until you get anchored. And the only way to become immovable in this world is to die is to say yes to jesus i did not mean to preach the gospel today okay um and when we say yes to him it changes everything else about the world you live in because all of a sudden you become a force to be reckoned with and it's not because of what you're doing it's because of what happens to you you become real you become materialized. It's like you used to be a ghost this whole time and all of a sudden now you're corporeal. You have physical matter and substance and you can affect the other stuff here. All of a sudden now you become consequential, right? Um, and so as that changes how we relate to people, it is indicative of our intimacy and awareness of the Lord. When we are cruel or unforgiving or when we lack compassion, when we're harsh, when we're... Um, dismissive or condescending to people, it only speaks of our ignorance of the Lord. It only exposes that we actually don't know what he's like here. We haven't gotten to know him in that area because he is not like that at all, ever with anyone. He doesn't exude those kinds of traits, right? And then especially to his beloved, the, the people he's in love with, he does not relate to them like that, doesn't treat them that way. 
And so when we experience a dissonance between who we think God is or how we relate to him and then the way we treat people, when there's a disconnect and they're different, it's an alarm for us telling us when it looks, when this looks like this, understand that's not what you think. We know we love God when we love people. And I'm not talking about a verb form of that. I'm talking about evidence. You can tell that you have love for the Lord if you have love for the people around you. If that's missing for them, I don't care what excuse you have. I don't care how heinous they are, what they've done. That is actually irrelevant. If love for them is missing in your heart, you don't actually know God, which is kind of intense, um, but it's straight up in the, in the book. First John, by the way, if anyone's taking notes, he covers this quite in depth and it's alarming. Um, I went on a journey. I think I shared this in an earlier podcast episode, but that was a, a rude awakening for me of having to recognize like, if that's true, then that means this and getting really honest with myself, which only opened me further up to the invading of the Lord in my life. Um, one of the hardest things about being close to the Lord and getting to know him, and this is not something I'm bragging about. I don't think it's, this is not something I accomplished. So I'm not trying to take credit for this, but this has happened to me. I am friends with God and I know this person and he is beautiful and all these things to me and and that's all true. It's not something I'm trying to believe about him. It's stuff I've discovered and I'm trying to survive about him. Like he is this stuff. He's gentle. He's patient. He's humble. He's lowly of heart. He's innocent. Like that stuff isn't just like attribute. It has power and it does something to us. <clears throat> and so when you know him like this and then you see the way people talk about God or treat God or whatever, Christians and non-Christians alike, maybe especially Christians, I don't know. It, there starts to be this like internal conflict where it, it's difficult to reconcile what they're saying about him, what they're, how they're treating him, how they talk about him, and what you know. You know what I mean? Um, and it's difficult to like act like everything's fine. And it's funny to like, I think it, it's like a form of psychosis watching a human being encounter Jesus and have to live in this world. <laughs> it's like, it's disorienting because here is Mr. Perfect. Here's Mr. Everything is right and good about him. He's always correct. He's always accurate. And not just in his legitimacy and in his facts, but in his intentions, in his meanings, in his ways. Like he's pure, he's clean, he's perfect, right? He's that. And any praise, any award, any credit that should be given to anyone belongs to him. It has his name on it already before it left anyone's mouth, before they demonstrated it. Significant, right? Um, that's him. And then we hear people make statements about him like, oh, he did this, or he didn't do this, or he owes me this. And they might not say it in English, but that is where it's coming from, that attitude, that belief. When they talk about God like that, it's a violation. Like there's something about it that is tearing in the spirit. It's wrong. Um, and I do, this is the part that I think I have trouble trying to articulate. God is vulnerable toward us. He is not insulated from our experience, from our choices. He, in his own choice, has willingly offered himself to be exposed to who we are, exposed to our intentions. Um, like a lot of us think our actions and our choices don't affect him. Um, we think he's insulated from us and he's not. Um, we like to treat him like a resource or a force or a th an authority or what, an obstacle or whatever when the reality is God's a person. 
<laughs> and he's not fragile. He's not overly sensitive or like breakable by any means, but he is affected by us. And not by any isolated incident or choice, but by the intentions of our heart. When we choose to navigate stuff without him because we don't trust him, because we don't think he's going to come through, because he's not going to take care of it, because he's not whatever the accusation is. That whole heart posture and then the consequent actions and choices that come from that place are a violation of nature. It is so inappropriate to treat him like this. And whenever the Lord shows up and meets me, it's like everything that I've believed up to that point, however long it's been since the last time he connected with me like that, all the things that were different from who he is become insanely obvious. And I immediately have this supplied sorrow and repentance that I don't try to feel. It's just, you guys, it's like there's this law in the, in the universe and then the veil gets pulled back and all of a sudden you get to know what's actually going on. And you're like, shoot, I've been wrong this whole time. I thought I was right. I, and you remember the thoughts you had and the things you said, <laughs> things you did and the justifications you had for them. And all of a sudden with the veil getting pulled back, you are immediately aware none of those reasons were legitimate. None of those justifications hold any, held any weight. You were not in the right place and you're not condemned. You just realized, you know, out of nowhere, you've been insane. <laughs> you've been deluded, you know? Um, and so I feel like a lot of my inter interactions with God in that space are like, um, look how you've been insane and look how beautiful he is. Oh, look how you've been insane. And look how beautiful he is just over and over and over and over again. Um, I'm not insane, but I've accepted thoughts and beliefs that were contrary to who he was. And then when he shows up, it becomes insanely obvious how crazy those beliefs were, how deluded and like unrealistic and just not tethered to reality they were, you know? And that, I don't think that's unique to me. That's, I think that's true for all of us. He's not something to be survived or like, like um, tolerated or navigated through or compromised with. He is the lover of our souls. He's everything we've ever wanted in our lives. He's everything we want. And so as I like look at heinousness in the world, I mean, even if we talk about just Christianity, heinousness practiced in the church, and I'm like, how are we still believing like this? How are we still choosing this way? Why do we still think this is a legitimate way to, to operate? Um, there's a, a clash inside of me, this like, it's like oil and water, and I'm supposed to make this make sense, and they don't mix. I'm like, this doesn't make sense. Um, I refuse to live in a world where we don't trust God, where we treat him like a person, like a, like some kind of obstacle or like a tool or some, by like a means to an end or a definition for us. His existence is not for us. Like this isn't about us, you know? Um, and I, I think even a lot of what we've done with Numa is an expression of, um, like a protest to, a lot of things that I've seen done a certain way and I don't have the answer. I don't, I'm not, what we're doing at NUMA is not the answer. I don't know like what we're supposed to do here yet, but there are some definite flags we've stuck in the ground saying he is like this. This is true. This is who we are. This is how we must operate in light of the spirit of God. And it's inconvenient. It doesn't translate. It doesn't make sense in these areas. We don't have a system that accommodates this yet. But I guess I have this like radical belief that we can find a system that does accommodate it, that does support intimacy and submission to the Holy Spirit whilst still being productive, whilst still being 
profitable, still being effective, still being safe and clear. Like we can do this, you know? I don't know what it is, but we gotta try. We gotta blaze a trail. We can't just keep accepting this because everyone else has done it or because it's worked in a certain way or gotten some results. If it's violating his, his nature, we can't accept it. We gotta change that, right? Um, this has to change. And in the intro, even for this podcast, which we might change at some point, I know it says something about how we can't set up camp here. We can't stay here. I don't, I'm not talking about progress for the sake of progress or just like trying to keep getting better because that's what we are. That's okay. I actually don't mind that. But the progress is because this is not where we're supposed to be. The state of things is not how we're supposed to live. I kind of want to rouse the reformers around us, wherever they are, wherever you are, like you guys, we cannot keep things the way they are because they are in direct contradiction to the nature of God. We have things in our economics, in the way that we like employ people, the way we practice medicine, the way we run our government, the way we educate people, the way we do family relationships, the way we endorse like practices and interpersonal communication. Like it's all over. We still have so much. I don't want to be intense here, but like rebellion and disobedience and ignorance in how we think this is supposed to go because we like formula. We like control. We like producing predictable outcomes. We like being able to anticipate. We locked it into a recipe and now we'll get the same conclusion every time and therefore we can control this. I understand why that's helpful. It's just inferior to what's available here. And we're not going to be able to establish the kingdoms of our God here with man-made ideas, with our best laid plans, right? He's going to have to lead us there. And at the end of the day, this is not about strategy or power. That's all available. This is about affection. This is about intimacy. It doesn't matter how clarified your theology is. If, if what you know about the Lord doesn't cause you to recognize, appreciate, and consider the glory and beauty in the people around you, our theology is missing something. It's not enough. This is not just about God. He pours himself out on his people. And so if they don't affect us in a way that he's ravished, we are missing something. They have to matter. They, ha they have to find space in us. If there's no vacancy, <laughs> if there's no room at the inn, we're missing something. And it's not about practicing better or thinking right. It's about submission to this spirit of his, yielding to his nature, which informs all of the things, including our thoughts, including our priorities and our strategies and protocol. God must be appreciated. God must be relished, cherished, like protected in our own hearts. He doesn't need that from us, but he deserves it. You know? It's not something that we owe him. Although that's true. We owe it. We are in debt here. Like this belongs to him. It's right that it should be offered, thrown at his feet. <clears throat> but regardless of the requirement and the, the order of things, it's an overflow of affection and recognition of value and worth that this is his. When we're throwing our crowns at his feet, it's not just supposed to make a grandiose gesture. It's because he's putting things on our heads that we didn't do. We're getting credit for stuff that we didn't accomplish, you know? We, we throw it because it doesn't make sense that we have it, and yet he gives it to us anyway. That's life. We don't deserve to be here, to be alive. Like, we didn't prove anything. We didn't accumulate this or earn it, you know? 
and he gives it freely. That's everything we have. This is him. And I think we forget like who this person is and what he's like, the kind of king that we serve. And it can easily slip into formula and practice and lifestyle disconnected from affection and intimacy and reverence and a fear of God, not out of self-preservation, but out of recognition of beauty, you know, which is emotional. We've been translated into his marvelous light. It's not just like illuminating. It's beautiful. There's an intimate emotional response to this person because he's like that. You know what I mean? This is our life. This is what we have. And we must say yes to from that place. And then that can inform how we run and execute and choose and navigate any of it. Oh. Anyway, this is Mike signing off. That happened. You guys, thanks for joining me on this podcast. Um, listen, we would love it if you could give us a review. A five-star rating is a big win for us. Um, please don't do that if it's not sincere, but if that's in your heart, we'd love it. Um, please subscribe to the, the podcast. We want you to catch the other episodes coming up. The next episode I'm going to do is called Building Big People. And it's, I'm not coming from an authoritative place, but I'm going to come from a convicted place. I want to share on some how we do leadership in NUMA and how we do relationship and structure and you know organizing that stuff. Um, from the heart and what does it actually look like to empower people, you know, in an environment where they're everyone's so different and unique and all that um, should be really fun. Anyway, look forward to hear, seeing you on the next one. Uh, until next time. Bye. Listen, there's more where this came from. If you want to see how deep this rabbit hole goes, check out MikeMyashiro.com.